Are we excited this morning? You might have to turn me down, Jarrett. Hallelujah. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. We're so grateful for the presence of the Holy Spirit. And let's just invite and open ourselves to an even greater experience for the Holy Spirit to affect this morning. Father, we are so grateful. We're thankful for Jesus, the Word of God. We're thankful, Jesus, that you came in the flesh to dwell among us. We're thankful, Jesus, that you defeated the enemy on his own turf. In the flesh, bone, and body, you defeated the enemy. You defeated sin. You were a visitor, hallelujah, in the game, in that game. And you defeated, and you didn't just defeat, but you led in the triumphal procession, hallelujah, that victory, leading captivity captive, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for that light that you are. We invite the light of Jesus this morning. We declare in the name of Jesus that our eyes will be enlightened. We declare that our ears will be open in the name of Christ. We declare that our mind and our heart is fertile soil this morning. In Jesus' name and Holy Spirit, I thank you that you can take us and use us as vessels if we yield unto you. The anointing is what breaks the yoke and moves the burden. And that's what I want this morning, Holy Spirit. For Rama and divine inspiration to come forth in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. So it's interesting that Jeff sings about it as well with my soul, because guess what I'm going to talk about? <laughs> That's a good song, brother. I like that song. And I tell you what, there's a reason for the words of that song. We're going to find out over the next two weeks. Uh, I, I actually have today and next week, if you want to come back. And uh, <laughs> we're going to talk about the spirit and the soul. For the past three weeks, I thank God. How many of you all thank God for Pastor CJ? Thank God. Thank God for someone who will proclaim the truth unadulterated. They'll bring forth the, the concepts of the Spirit, even though they defy our mind. Amen? And they stand in opposition to our mind. In fact, the Word says that the natural mind is enmity. Enmity against God. That's just a $10 word for divided against. Enmity. So I'm here for the next two weeks to tell you a little bit about the spirit and the soul because we've been talking about the voice of our spirit speaking in tongue in other tongues giving our spirit utterance as we are given utterance by the holy spirit right that's what we've been talking about for three weeks well let's talk a little bit more lay a little bit more of a foundation from which we can understand how we even have a spiritual voice and then what it means when we say or when Paul said that when I pray in tongues, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. See, you have to understand right there and see that there is a separation between the spirit and the soul. And if you don't understand that and you don't get a revelation about who you are, spirit, soul and body, you will live your life predominantly from two areas, the soul and the flesh. Because the soul is the, the fullness of man's life apart from God. And he can develop that little kernel and nugget of life, and he can pour into it knowledge, and he can pour into it experience, and he can pour into it emotional tangents, and he can psycholo psychologically analyze, and he can do everything he wants to do to that portion of your person. But, if you, but, but the thing is, if you don't understand that you are first spirit and then soul, then the order of your being and an ability to live a life Submitted to God and walking out every step that he has for us is going to fail. It's going to be limited. 
And in fact, if you live your life completely from the soul, you will at one point in time die and you will be eternally separated from God. The soul is not the only place that we live from. We have an institution up here that is completely about one thing, about one part of your being, and that is the soul. But let me tell you what, there are spiritual consequences to that. There are spiritual consequences. So we're going to talk about the soul and the spirit. And so we've got to understand who we are, that first of all, we are spirit. Then we have a soul and we live in a body. We are a what's called a triune, T-R-I, that's prefix means three. Un, if you remember the word from Spanish, uno, means one, three in one. Triune being. We are a three in one being. Is, does that sound like anyone else you know? <laughs> have we heard of the Trinity, the concept of the Trinity before as it applies to our Father? Son and Holy Spirit, hallelujah. And guess what? We're created in his image. So he being three in one would beget a being after his likeness that is also three in one. Amen. Do you see that? Okay. So let me just give you a couple of scriptures for that. And you all just kind of buckle your seatbelts this morning because we've got a lot of ground to cover in two weeks. And you know what? My purpose and my desire more than anything is to speak from my heart and be led by the Spirit and not my notes. Because, and I've got, a, I've got a whole bunch of notes here and things that I can glean from, but ultimately I want the unction of my heart because that's the issues of life. They're in here. They're not on paper. They're in the Spirit. They're in your heart. And so I want to just be led this morning so... We'll just see how the Spirit of God rolls. But I do want you to buckle your seatbelts, and I want you to be ready for some Scripture this morning. I am predominantly by gifting and function a teacher. And that's all because that's what God decided to pour out as a grace in my life. As he has poured out in the grace of Kaylin's life, an ability to do the freaking, freakishly awesome artwork and things that she does. I have no ability to do that. God hasn't given me that ability. So my ability is completely because of what the Lord has given and the Spirit has, has anointed me to do. But that doesn't mean we won't preach a little bit, too. Or that we might not even enter into a little prophetic. See, what people don't understand a lot of times is there's a difference. Jesus went about teaching, preaching, and then healing well, teaching and preaching are two different things. Teaching is explanation. Preaching is declarate or proclamation. And prophecy is declaration. You're declaring something. When you go out teaching something, you're telling someone how it works. When you're preaching something, you're expl- you're, you are proclaiming what has been what you understand. When you are coming forth in the prophetic, you are declaring something thus and so. Do you see what I'm saying? There's a difference in that, but we need to understand that. But let's look at some some, uh, scripture this morning. 1 Thessalonians 5.23. 1 Thessalonians 5.23. And I'm not going to wait very long because we have a lot of ground to cover. Now listen to what Paul says. He says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Does everyone see very clearly that we have a separation of three entities, spirit, soul, and body? Amen or oh me? We have it very, very clearly uh, uh, explained here under the unction of the spirit by Paul. That, and he's talking to believers at the church of Thessalonica, and he is telling them that, that God is able to sanctify you completely. And the word completely actually is referring to something that's going to follow next. What's complete? Well, a complete person is spirit, soul, and body. It's not just one without the other or two without the other. It's all three parts. And all three parts, I want you to see, have to be sanctified by the working of the Spirit of God. In our lives, Luke 10:27 says, 
And this is Jesus, red letter in my Bible and yours, and it says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind. Now, wait a minute, Greg. That's four things. Well, soul and mind actually go together. But I'm sharing this with you because I want you to also see Jesus talks about the separation of heart, soul, and then he doesn't even talk about the body here, but he talks about strength and mind. And strength has to do with your body and ability. If you have no physical strength, it's pretty tough for you to stand and believe or declare. And you need a help a lot of times if you're in that position. So it's implied. But I want you to see that we love the Lord our God with the different persons of our character of our part of who we are okay of our being spirit soul and body now he says the word heart well heart is from the greek word cardia and guess what that sounds like something we know cardiogram is a measurement of the heart you know uh, uh well cardia refers to heart and heart is what the center of your being it's the center of your life right It's referring to the core of who you are. You love him, cardia, the center of your being, spirit. And with all your soul, that word is actually translated from the Greek word suke, which I have taught on here about four years ago. And you've heard me say multiple times since. Suke refers to the soul. It refers to the mind, will, and emotions. It refers to the shallow breath, if you will. If you look at the the literal translation from the Greek, it's that part of the life of man separate from God that can exist for the time that's scribed for him that once dead, then is separated eternally from God by his spiritual death. And so you love him with your soul, and then it says, and then with all your strength. Well, that's translated from a word that means might. Ability, So that, that to me, renders some physical uh, aspects or the body aspect in it. And then with all your mind, he separates out even the mind from the soul. That is actually thoughts, is what that's talking about. So to what we're talking about, just give me some scripture with respect to the fact that we are a triune being. We're three in one. Spirit, soul, and body. And what I want to awaken or by the Spirit of God this morning, if you don't understand this, is that you are first spirit. And you need to develop, I need to develop, we need to develop our spiritual awareness and sense and reliance and focus more than we've ever needed to before. We need to get to the place that we are more spiritually aware than we've ever been before. We need to realize that we are, Greg, Green Island Clocks, and I am Numa. I am spirit. First, before anything else. And that, and that separates us from the other creation. No other part of the creation has pneuma placed inside of it. Spirit. <clears throat> okay, so to walk a victorious life and fulfill God's will, we have to recognize these parts. We have to recognize the parts of our being and we have to understand how we live from them. You know, the Word of God is the dividing instrument. So what we're going to talk about a little bit is about something I taught on four uh, years ago, I think it was, called Marismos. I'm not going to get into the concepts of it necessarily as detailed as I did, is, as I did in that teaching. But I, So I, I uh, encourage you to get the tape. I think we still have it available on CD. It's called Marismos. M-E-R-I-S-O-M-O-S. Marismos. I think that's the way we spell it. So, but the bottom line is, it is talking about the action, the dividing action of the Word of God to be able to separate your soul from your spirit. And let's just look at the the, uh, verse for that. It's Hebrews 4.12. This is a very good verse to actually uh, highlight in your Bible if you highlight verses. And I encourage you to write all over your Bible. Listen to what Hebrews 4.12 says. It says, for the Word of God is living and powerful. And sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and as a discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. 
So this, we were talking about how we are spirit, soul, and body. We're talking about the need to understand those three parts of us. But a lot of times I'm here to tell you, and as you will also attest, it is very, very difficult to see the difference between soul and spirit of your own reasoning. So how do we do that? How do we get those separate so we can see them for what they are and be able to make a choice from the spirit? So how you do that is the word of God. Word of God is the d- dividing agent. It's the marismosing agent that, that is able to come into your life and cleave those in two so that you can be able to see them for what they are and always make the choice for the spirit. Because the spirit is where the life is at. That is what God, that, that is where God is, is going to be touching your life before any other part. It's the spirit. Because God is spirit. And they that worship him have to worship him in, well, it's not just worship, folks, it's relationship. We relate to Jesus, we relate to the Father God in spirit. We can't just come to the Spirit of God. We can't come to the Father God. We can't come to Jesus in our relationship from a soulish tangent only. Or, most importantly, from our flesh. Flesh don't even want to go there if it's left of its own own devices. But the Spirit is the realm. The Spirit in who you are is how you touch God. And so it's important to be able to divide those elements out of your being so that you can make a choice for the godly portion. The portion that's 100% godly. And that is the spirit if you have been recreated a new creature. If you are born again. Amen? So we've got to be able to do that. And the word of God is the only way. That's the, that is the marismosing agent. That's the only dividing ability we have is, to, is the word of God to come in there to receive that engrafted word. Let it come in. Let it set root and let it divide and separate us. Isn't it interesting that when they were saying peace, peace, peace to Jesus, Jesus said, I hadn't come to bring peace. What did he say I come to bring? And who was Jesus? Who was he? He was the word. Whoever said that? Charlie, thank you. I think that's who it was. Jesus was the word. Guess what? He's the marismosing agent of the spirit. He came to bring truth. Truth always separates, folks. And I know that might be a revelation to some. Well, what? I thought of Jesus as about unity and stuff. He's about unity of his and oneness of mind and purpose about his kingdom. Not about us. And what we want, not about what the devil and his camp wants. It's there's only one truth, folks, and it's Jesus Christ and anything that he professes. That's it. If you if that there is to me, you know, I'm a biologist by trade. I, I, I learned how to do testing on water and things. One of the principal parameters that you test is something called pH. And you can use these simple little strips that have been impregnated with a chemical to be able to respond to certain uh, elements in the solution that will indicate their acidity or basic nature. And you put that strip in there, if it turns a certain color, hey, it's, it's, it's pH of 8.5. Or put it in there, if it's acid, it's pH of 4 or whatever it is. And you call it a litmus test. Have anyone ever heard of that? That's an old, old testing procedure. You know what? The litmus for us, everyone this morning, to test any spirit, to test the reality and authenticity of anything you hear is to always take it back to the word of God. And when the word, if the word of God corroborates it, then it's good. And I'm talking about the living word of God, Jesus, because it's very easy if you hear anyone say anything and it sounds good, sounds good, sounds good. But then all of a sudden it gets to the element that you see a little fuzziness with respect to whether or not Jesus is the only way to God. It's over right there. Do you all see what I'm saying? It's so easy. But yet we've made it hard. It's like, boy, there's a lot of good and the good in what I hear there. It sounds right to me. See, that's the soul. You have to allow the word of God and the truth and spirit of truth inside you to lead you. The spirit of God comes to lead us into what? Truth. And then knowledge. Do you see what I'm saying? Allow the spirit of God to lead you. So you need to make the choice for the spirit because that's the realm of truth. Always. The spirit is a realm of truth. Okay. 
So they have to be different, our parts of our being, or they couldn't be divided. Do you see that? If you still don't believe that, that we have different parts of our being, then why is this, this scripture stupid? For it to say that it divides asunder, soul and spirit, joint and marrow, so, so on and so forth. If, if, it, if there wasn't an ability to divide it, then there, there's no separation. You see what I'm saying? That it's all the same. But because just you can just look at this logically and see that there is an ability by the word of God to divide the soul from the spirit, then we know right there they're two different things, right? Praise God. I'm sorry I'm kind of taking an attorney's approach, you know, and laying down all the evidence here. Even if it gets painfully obvious. I want you to see beyond a shadow of a doubt, you are three people. And we have got to understand that so that we can learn to live from the right one first and get the other ones in order. You live from the spirit first, then your soul gets placed under that authority, and then your body's going to do whatever the rest of it does. Praise God. Okay, so piercing to the division is the marismos action of the word. To separate the essence of our life so that we can choose the spirit at all times. Because the spirit is the seat of the life of God in our lives. That's where he's seated. In our spirit, in our heart. Okay? And to understand that we are three in one... And be able to recognize each part separately and distinctly for what they are. It facilitates then our understanding of how God works in our lives. And the effect of his salvation and the vitally important role that we play it in all. In our decision process. So it helps us to realize who we really are and what we are to do. And what we do and why we do it. So if we understand our triune nature, our three-in-one nature, we can better understand our salvation that Jesus has provided for us. And this is so important. I just want everyone's ears to be completely open as much as they've ever been so far. Understand that really our life through Christ and salvation experience really occurs on three levels. It occurs, first of all, when you are drawn by the Spirit of God. No man comes unto the Father except he be drawn. Drawn. When you are drawn by the Spirit of God in response to hearing the gospel and the faith that was given you by grace, you then respond and you accept and realize your separation from God, and then you confess your sins, confess the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, then you are saved. Amen? But my question to you this morning is, what part of the three, spirit, soul, and body, are, is saved in that activity? And many of you all might look at me with some cross eyes this morning and say to myself, my whole being is. And that's exactly why I'm teaching this this morning. Because it's not. It's not. And I just pray with everything within me that you'll understand this because it's going to enlighten you. It's going to enlighten you to see some of the struggles maybe you've had. With condemnation. We'll get to that here in just a little bit. So we understand that spiritually, the salvation happens first. That's where our salvation takes place. That's where we are recreated a new person. The old is gone. The new has come. It is our spirit first. Okay? And that's where the true salvation experience takes place in 2 Corinthians uh, 5.17. But the soul... That salvation has to happen throughout your life every single day. That is a salvation experience that you do not have whenever you accept the Lord Jesus. And, and you all might look at me and say, say, dear Lord, Greg, what are you saying? Is a person saved? We say that there was eight souls saved on Sunday. But realize that the soul can be used, the word soul can be loosely used to represent a person as a spirit, too, as it, is, as it is the mind, will, and emotion part of you. So a lot of times, you know, we use that word religiously, souls. You know, there was 128 souls saved Sunday. Well, praise God. No, there wasn't 128 mind, will, and emotion suitcase saved. There was 128 numas that were made new unto their God by the action of the spirit. Do you understand what I'm saying? Pneuma is the Greek word referring to your spirit man, who you are 
as the breath of God that was blown into you that created who you uh, created your ability and energized your ability to even live. Suke refers to your soul, mind, will, and emotions, the part of you that is also living, but it is a shallow part of life that actually can exist separate from God. And that's the part that we have to save day by day. Salvation of our soul. We're going to learn about that a little bit. And then the salvation of our body, every single one of us here this morning knows that, our, that the salvation experience of Jesus has yet to take place in our body. Why? Because we all die a physical death. Amen? I mean, it's something you don't want to always think about and so forth. But you know, the, the, the Bible is very clear. It's appointed once for man to die, then the judgment. That's a part of the salvation experience in, God, in Christ that has been accomplished in the spirit, but has yet to be manifest in the natural. And one day when Jesus cracks the sky, it will happen. And we will be made like him in his image, in his likeness physically, that mortality will be swallowed up by immortality is what it says. Hallelujah. We will receive our, our uh, heavenly temple, our heavenly uh, uh, adornment or a heavenly surrounding at that point in time that's not corruptible hallelujah and you know what it's going to be awesome because my grandma yupel is going to come up out of the grave before i get mine i'm going to get to see her when she's rolling up to heaven with jesus our master in the sky and she'll already be glowing man with the new created body so will my grandpa russell lou allen and my grandma hallelujah who believed in their god and are with him today Glory to God. They will get the result the full, of the fullness of, God, of Christ's salvation and his victory in the cross one day. Hallelujah. But until that day, the death is the last enemy to be completely absolved. It's under Jesus' feet, but it has yet to be uh, uh, manifest in the physical yet because we all die. And I'm believing that Jesus is going to come back. I ain't going to die a physical death. <laughs> It can't be long. I just can't see it. Okay, so, so, so temporally speaking, on the timeline for the Christian, spiritual salvation is actually, if you sit here today, you've accepted the Lord Jesus. You have, in accordance with 2 Corinthians 5.17, been made in Christ a new creature. Behold, all things passed away, all things have become new. Amen? If you are that person today... Temporally, for you, as far as the timeline is concerned, that spiritual salvation is past. It's already taken place. But the soul salvation is now. It has been taking place, and it's continuing to take place, and it will take place. And, and, and the bodily salvation is to come. Amen? Okay, so to understand, though, that the, that, the first, that, the, that the salvation is first spirit, to understand that salvation is first spirit, leads to an understanding, though, a better understanding of the separation of, and the necessity for the salvation of our other parts. For you to understand that your spirit was first saved will help you to understand the need to, to appropriate the salvation of God for the other parts. And most importantly, the soul. That's the, that's the big one. So let me share a word with you. Just write it down. John, John chapter 3, 1 through 7. This is the story of Nicodemus. Bless his heart. You have to like Nicodemus because here he was a teacher of the law. And he was a guy that had to come to Jesus in the nighttime, talk to him and secretively. Because guess what? Nicodemus believed. And we know that later on. But there was something inside of that man that went past the religious confines of his soul. He saw Jesus for who he was. Even though he didn't understand the fullness of everything, he still was able to receive the, the, the uh, truth from him. So here comes Nicodemus talking to Jesus. And he's asking him, how in the world, you know, do, how, how am I to be saved? You know, how am I to be part of the kingdom? And Jesus tells him uh, that, the, you know, he tells him that it's necessary to be Born again. And you know, Nicodemus is immediately all soul. Because what does he do? He says, Jesus, how, come I, how can I now, an old man, enter again into my mother's womb and be born again? 
Do you see how that works? It's ludicrous. It is to your soul because guess what? The salvation isn't your soul. It's the salvation of your spirit. The recreation of your spirit. So 2 Corinthians 5.17. Well, first of all, let me read, let me read what the, he, Jesus says. So Jesus says that he clearly shows the salvation applies to our spirit. And he says, that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit, capital S, is spirit, small s. So you see right there, Jesus is already telling him, look, you're thinking in the wrong realm. The born again, uh, the, the, the born again context I'm talking about is in the spirit. Your, what is born of the spirit is spirit. Born of the flesh is flesh. So it's not about you going back to your mom and getting up inside of her and coming back out again. It's about you being, as you submit to God, submitting yourself into the womb of the spirit to be recreated and born yet again into the fullness of the life and, and relationship with God. So 2 Corinthians 5.17, I've already quoted a couple of times. Therefore, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. That is the boy. That is good news this morning. Hallelujah. Every single one of you this morning that has accepted Christ into your heart, that believes and, and has confessed with your mouth, believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, have received the power that God gives them to become the sons of God. You are sitting here a new creature. As a matter of fact, the Greek word actually means species. Creature means species. So that means you're recreated not even anything like you were, you were before. So if I have something that is a horse, and then I create after a horse, what am I going to get? A horse. It's the same species. But if I take something that's a horse and I create it to be an Asian elephant, I've created it a new species. It's the same thing in the spirit, folks. When we accept Christ, we are created, hallelujah, recreated a new species. Guess what? That species is not capable of, the, of, of being eternally dead. It's not capable of being separate from God anymore because it's, it's completely revitalized with his, after his likeness as it was when he blew it into Adam the first time. Hallelujah. Praise God. That's something to absolutely shout about this morning. Every single one of us are a new creature. The old has gone. The new has come. So now here's the deal. Yes, but you say, but Greg... I still struggle with cussing. How many of y'all cuss this morning? Anyone cuss this morning? I, man, sister, thank you for raising your hand. I'm going to raise my hand and say that it happens every once in a while for me. Oh, come on, y'all leave your hands down. You're a bunch of liars. You know what? I believe in being open, being frank. I don't believe in any pretense. I mean, that's one little thing, okay? One little thing, cuss, you know? But let me tell you what. I want to prove to you this morning that, this, that you are three different people and that this salvation experience occurs on three different levels. How many of you all, whenever you accepted, how many of you all accepted the Lord Jesus later in life? You weren't a child and you, would, you were already developed in some areas and you had some habits and so forth, some bad ones. And, and uh, you came to the Lord. Anyone can attest to that. All right, so I got Cornell up front here, so I'm going to pick on you. Is that okay, Cornell? Okay, Cornell, just, I mean, was cussing a part of your, what you did? When you accepted Christ in your heart, you had a genuine conversion experience, did you not? Absolutely, you did. A glorious one. You accepted the Lord. Man, you probably weeped before him. You were broken before him. There's no denying the fact, and not saying that emotions have to go with it, but I'm just saying there's no denying. Cornell knows beyond a shadow of a doubt his salvation experience. It's a waypoint a way in his life. Hallelujah. Okay, Cornell, so you cussed before, you said. Let me ask you this. Did you cuss afterwards? Did you cuss just about as bad or equally as bad as you did before? Okay, did you, did you hear what he said? He said it didn't change much initially. That's awesome, man. That's exactly what I was looking for. It didn't change much initially. You know, let me, let me tell you all this morning what, what not knowing the difference between the three people that you are and the three levels of salvation that you have, most importantly, your soul salvation. 
Let me tell you an artifact of not knowing that. You know what will happen? The soul, which happens to be the 95 plus percent occupation of most church services. Come on now. Happens to look at experiences like that and judge them and say, he must not have been saved. He must not have accepted the Lord. How could he cuss like that? Do you see where I'm going? Because guess what? The salvation hasn't been worked out here yet. Do you see what I'm saying? It is, he is 100% a new creature in Christ. The old, in other words, the old in terms of him being dead and permanently separated from God. That is what's old and has been renewed. But his mind has to be made renewed unto God, unto the things of the Spirit. Do you see what I'm saying? And you know what? Even now, I mean, I got, a, I got saved when I was six years old. I remember the experience very clearly. So I've not known a, a lot in my life where I, I've necessarily walked, uh, you know, in, in a lot of degree of separation from God. But at the same time, let me tell you what, I've screwed up. I cuss every once in a while. I get angry at people, you know. And I tell you what, get me in a car sometimes driving to Oklahoma City. <laughs> I'm even praying in the spirit most of the time. I'm just sitting there. I'm like, wait a minute. I've done it. I just did it on Friday coming home. I was like, man. Now, some people say, now, how in the world can you do that? Spirit and soul. Got two different people going on here. People say, well, that's schizophrenic. No. Well, it's just, it's just what it is, is you gotta, you gotta occupy, that's right, you gotta mature your soul. You have to mature your soul. But let me tell you what, religion, religion is all about the soul. Every bit of it. Because guess what? The kingdom of God is within you, is what was said by our master. But listen, the religion says the kingdom of God is out here and you gotta work from out here and bring it inside. That is wrong. You don't, you don't come to God by whipping yourself and stopping smoking and stopping cussing and doing all the things you can do in order to get to God. You come to God first as you are, the sinner you were whenever Christ gave himself for you. Amen. When he died on the cross, knowing full well that you were going to do all the sorry things that you think you've done in your life, he gave his best for you when you were at that state, not whenever you cleaned yourself up. Come on this morning. I'm telling you this morning by the unction of God, it's not about what you can think in your ability, pea brain ability to approach God. He's already made the way and it's Jesus Christ in his precious blood. And us being born into his body by the Spirit of God. And once that takes place, brother, that's an eternal thing. Sister, that's an eternal thing, and you can't turn the clock back on that. Now, yes, you can make some decisions in your mind that will separate your fellowship from God, and you can die, but you are not going to have that turned back. That's an eternal process. Hallelujah for that this morning. Man, alive, how do we get off on that? So we're talking about saving the soul, and we're talking about the fact we're proving out, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. The old has come, new has come, old has gone. Well, but that's for the spirit, I'm telling you. We just talked about a good example with Cornell. I think I could go around here and find many examples from other folks. Same type of thing. I knew... Uh, Meredith, your son Vince was the same way. I, Todd told me about about his cussing. He used to cuss like a sailor, and he'd go out witnessing and be cussing every third word. That's what Todd told me. You know, effing Jesus is awesome. Well, he's like, what? What are you saying? Well, listen, he had to get his soul saved. He had to possess his soul. What was inside had to work its way to uh, in authority and a dominion over everything else. And that's the way the kingdom of God works. And that's the appropriate order of things. It's always spirit first, then through the soul and the body. It's not the, uh, uh, it's not the outer adornment, like Paul says. It's the inward man of the heart. Like Peter says, it's the inward man of the heart. It's not all this stuff you do on the outside. 
You know what, man? It's like what the scripture says. Sacrifice is not what God desires. But you know what it was? It was a body that God gave to Jesus, whom he would, what he would lay down. That's what he desired. He desired living from the inside and a conviction unto the kingdom of God and working its way out to obedience. Gosh, hallelujah, Jesus, thank you. So, so let me ask you this now, for those of y'all that still don't believe. When you were saved, did you, just to prove, and this is crazy, but I mean, how many of y'all looked in the mirror after you got saved? Well, of course you did. Did you look any different? No. You didn't look any different. Well, what do you mean? You were created a new species in Christ. Well, again, just to be painfully arduous about what we're proving here is that it is obviously not the body that it receives that newness. Amen. You see what I'm saying? We don't look any different. If we had a big O zit on our face before we accepted the Lord, when we got done, we still had that big O zit on our face. I'm sorry. I'm redneck and it just comes out. <laughs> you had bad breath. Before you got saved, you had bad breath whenever you, after you got saved. It didn't change. That was not recreated. It's still subject to de- degradation and decay. That's what's happening when you got bad breath. You got bacteria going on there, breaking down stuff. It's a process of, of, uh, of death in your, in your mouth. It smells like it too. So, does your body change on salvation? Did you take a different form? How about your soul? Is your mind totally conformed to Christ after you accept Christ? Do you still have many of the same habits, behaviors, responses after salvation that you did before? This is how a truly saved person can manifest unchristian-like behavior even within minutes of their salvation experience. Don't you listen to religion who doesn't understand and consequently doesn't tolerate this because it won't allow a true soul-winning experience in someone's life. And I'm telling you this morning, this church, I believe that we are coming to a time whenever we have got to get past, we've got to grow past the, the, the limits of our soul to see the work of God in someone's life. I'm telling you, man... The master, yeah, the master wanted all the people that had bathed when he invited them to the feast. Yeah, he wanted the people that smelled good and that were people of upstanding in the uh, citizenship and people that were in places of authority and people that did things, you know, that worked and, and, and did things the way most people are going to say is a common life. But guess what? Who was it that came to the feast? It wasn't those people because they were too freaking busy to do anything for the master. It was the people that he had to go out and said, well, if these people that were originally invited aren't going to come, then then by my name and mercy, go out into the ditches and bring them in. Go out into the hollows of of society, to the deep, dark depths of of what culture might, uh, you know, despise and declare uh, Ichabod over, no glory of God. And you tell them to come in here. You give them that, that meal ticket and you tell them they can come and celebrate and eat with me. Man, I'm telling you what, the kingdom of God is not about everything that you can do from a natural perspective to clean yourself up. God is about cleaning you up. God is about straightening out your issues. You just got to come to him as you are. Man. <laughs> Man, what kind of love is that? That's love that your soul will never understand. Your soul will never relate to love like that because it's unconditional. And this soul is always about putting conditions on things. Because it is confined by by default. Oh, man. It's a spiritual experience. Because it is a spiritual experience, it's with our spirit that we know. That we know we are saved. Listen, how many of you all struggle? If you struggle with that this morning, I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. You understand that your spirit is saved, not your soul. You are possessing your soul from the spirit in this salvation experience as you walk your steps out that God has ordered. 
But I'm here to tell you this morning that the devil, if you stay in the realm of your mind, which is subject to feelings and emotions, you're subject, you're on fickle ground, you're on a fickle foundation that will change from one moment to the next based on how you feel. And if you're looking at your experience with God from the soul, then your relationship with God will be just as fickle and will be just as dynamic, changing and shifting one way to the next, next way to the next. I'm sorry, folks. It's a spiritual experience. So it's with our spirits that we know that we're saved. The soul is subject to condemnation, not your spirit. It's your mind. It's your intellect. It's your emotions that are subject unto the, the, the fiery darts of condemnation from the accuser of the brethren who is Satan. And from you. And from you. That's right. There's a lot of people here this morning that you're fighting, your worst battles are yourself and not the enemy. You will not get past that battle with yourself until you get past the unregenerate suke of who you're battling with and get to the eternal, living, recreated spirit of your innermost being and relate there first and possess everything else from that tangent. Listen to what Romans 8.16 says. It says, This Spirit, capital S, Himself bear witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. It does not say, this, and you have to add to the word to say that the Spirit of God bears witness with our minds that we are the children of God. What does it say? It says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons or children of God. So that proves exactly what I'm saying this morning. If you struggle with condemnation, if you struggle wondering where your relationship with God is at, from an eternal perspective, always immediately roll back into the spirit and say, it's not what my mind tells me. It's what I choose to believe. It's what I have believed and has already effectuated a result in my inner man. And you've got to understand, a great minister that I have great respect for, one of the things he said all the time was, I'm not moved by what I see or what I feel. I'm moved only by what I believe. Because, and what he's saying is, is I'm making a choice not for the, for the soul realm where all the, the seed of emotions and the seed of dynamic process is. I'm making a choice for the spirit realm where the truth is at. And that's what I'm identifying with first. Everything else is subject to that. Romans 5, 5. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Notice, the love of God is shed abroad into our hearts. Heart here is the same word cardia, and it's representing your innermost man. The love of God is not shed abroad in your soul. It's not shed abroad in your mind. It's shed abroad in your heart. And so that is where you relate with the love of God before any other person in your, your essence of your being. It has to be from your heart. You have to look inward to realize the kingdom of God is there. You have to look inward by, and you have to do it by faith sometimes because guess what? You're going to screw up and you're going to screw up big sometimes. And it might screw up so big it's going to affect a lot of people. But listen, if you have a heart like David that is completely penitent to him to always turn back to him after a season, then you too will be like David and you'll be a person that's a particular uh, uh, individual after his heart. You see, there it is. He was a man after his own heart. It's a heart issue. It's always a heart issue with God. So we see here in these two scriptures and what we've talked about, that your head can't be your heart. Because God didn't say, I shed abroad, he shed abroad his love into my mind. He shed abroad his love into my soul. He shed abroad his love into my intellect. It says, the spirit itself bears witness that we are the children of God. He bears witness with our spirit. And, he, and the love of God has been shed abroad into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So your head can't be your heart. Don't let it rule or run your experience or you'll be off. If you let your head rule or run your experience with God, you're going to get off. And with this, you realize that this love is a spiritual matter and it's a spiritual substance. And listen, the Holy Spirit just showed this to me and it seems so crazy 
clear that I'm like, why didn't I ever see this before? You know, love is not an action principally. Love is not a preposition or a verb or however it's used in the context of the language. Love is not a feeling or emotion. Love is a person. And it's God. Because my Bible says God is love. And guess what Jesus said to the woman at the well? Woman, a time's coming and it's now come when they that worship him will worship him in spirit and in truth. God is spirit. So now let's use the transitive property. We can even use a mental thing here to show this. If God is love and God is spirit, then guess what love is? The reality of love is a spiritual experience. It is spiritually discerned. It is spiritually originated. It is spiritually uh, transferred. It is spiritually uh, interrelated. And before anything else, love is spirit. It's a spiritual matter. So guess what? Jesus goes about telling people, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments, right? And one of the commandments he tells you to do is to love your neighbor as yourself. And guess what? A lot of those neighbors are enemies. They're people that you actually despise, that stand against what you believe, what you hope, what you want in life, and might actually work to try to take your life. And you know, a lot of times people might ask, one of the, one of the hardest things that Jesus ever said is, how do you love your enemies? He said to love your enemies and do good to them. You know how you can't love them is right here. You can't love them from here. But guess what? The love he's talking about is a spiritual essence. So guess what? You you love from here. And that's how you can love your enemies. And in fact, if you look at the word love that's used in the context of love your neighbor, love your enemies, it's actually agape, which is the God kind of love, the unconditional kind of love. It's not the love that is that, that we talk about, which is phileo, which is a love that's because I, I feel something for you. I feel something for my wife. I have a tremendous drive and just... You know, adornment of my wife in my heart, in my soul. So I love her. It's easy for me to love her. But how about the scab in the ditch? How about the person that, and I hate to say that this morning, but you know what I'm talking about, the way culture would label them. Someone that, the unlovely, the unlovely in our culture. How about those people? How about the people that actually hate me? How about the people that want to kill me and do me bodily harm and completely annihilate me from the face of this earth? How about those people? How can I love those people? Well, guess what? It's a spiritual matter. And you have to be and come from the spiritual realm with that ability, with that decision. Yes, you make a decision in your will, which is seated in your soul. And I'm a, I've, I feel like the part of your will is actually po- tied in, tied in with the spirit. But it is your soul. You have a reasoning and ability to make the choice. But you have to make the choice to love those people. It's not because you desire to. It's because you choose to. And that's what I'm saying this morning. Love is a spiritual matter. So that, too, is a reason why we need to understand the difference between spirit, soul, and body. Okay, so let's identify and locate the elements of our being. Let's identify and locate some elements this morning. And I want to talk about the spirit just real quickly. So we've talked a lot about the spirit, but I'm going to continue on because it's the one that we need to have the most knowledge of. Because, folks, we live from our soul predominantly. We are very well familiar with our will, mind, and emotions. And let me tell you what, we're really familiar with this thing, this old sack of meat like that one guy used to call it. Uh, that former Hell's Angel guy, what was his name? He called it a sack of meat. We had him come and preach here one time. I can't remember what his name was. You remember? Does anyone remember him? Okay. He called it a sack of meat. I never heard anybody talk. talk. Tell, uh, uh, describe it like that. I thought that was pretty good. We're really familiar with our bodies. So that's, an, that's a real easy thing to see. We can see that thing, smell it, and everything else. 
But how about our spirit? The spirit is the essence of your life eternal with God or apart from it. The new birth is a birth in the spirit. It's a recreation of your spirit being made alive unto God. It's a part of you being, it's part of your being that contacts the spirit realm. Like, it's kind of like in chemistry, like dissolves like. Like has an affinity for like. Well, the spirit is what contacts the spirit realm. Okay, not your soul, not your mind, will, and emotions, not your flesh, but your spirit. And so for the Christian, it is the, quote, pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A, pneuma, or deep breath of life that has been breathed in us from the beginning of our foundation of, of creation whenever God took that lump of clay and breathed into him, and then he was a living soul, uh, being. Pneuma. Okay, so... God created man in his image. God is spirit, so we're created spirit. Okay? And if you look in the Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, I just talked about that. Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. He breathed into his nostrils. Pneuma is breath. It's a forceful blast. I can take that word pneuma and use it as a prefix on a lot of stuff. Pneumatic drill is a drill that's run by a forced air, 100 pounds per pressure. PSI, you know. That thing that you go... Go to the tire stores. That's a pneumatic wrench. Pneuma means a forceful blast. I can take 120 PSI hose here, and if I put an open end on it and blow it in your face, you're going to realize the force of pneuma. You're going to realize real quick. It'll put your eye out. Genesis 1:26 through 27, it talks about God let us make man in our image. We see a plurality of God in this process, and we see that he creates him in plurality, man, spirit, soul, and body. Okay, the spirit, second thing is the spirit is often referred to as the heart. We've talked about some scriptures. I've already quoted one, Romans 10.10, for with the heart, man believes unto righteousness. You can't believe with your physical heart, so we see that this is a model. This is a representation. And in fact, you know, in our common vernacular, we use the word heart for a lot of things. The heart of a watermelon. The heart of a tree. You see what I'm saying? I mean, we talk, the heart of a matter means the center of it. The core of it. We use the word heart loosely for a lot of things. So the word heart here is used as a model or as an analogy to represent the center part of your being. Okay? God is spirit. We're created in his likeness, so we're spirit. We fellowship with him in the spirit. Animals do not. Animals do not. They don't have spirit. They don't fellowship with God. And in fact, the creation is awaiting for those that can fellowship with God to be manifest so that they too can enjoy a redemption from the curse of the law. That's what, that's what Paul said. It says, all the creation groans and travails for the, for the revealing of the sons of God. That's what it's talking about right there. Because it don't have the spirit of God inside of it. And it's a portion of God that was cut off from him by sin. And has been trying to struggle through existence to exist separate from its creator. And it's still existing, but it's in a perverted form, a perverted state because of the, the, the law of entropy that came in to, to take it from one state of order to, to a more denigrated state of order through all of eons that that's been happening. And it's ready to get back, connected back to its creator so that it can receive life again and be set back in order. That's what creation's groaning for. It's groaning for our, our revelation, man. Okay, so then, now it's also referred to as the inward man. The inward man. 2 Corinthians 4.16, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, talking about this, Yet the inward man is renewed day by day. There it is, the inward man. We're talking about our spiritual man. Okay, Romans 7, 22. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. Romans two twenty eight. For he is not a Jew, this is Paul talking again, which is one outwardly. And you could say he is not a Christian, which is one outwardly. But, and neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly and circumcision that is of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter. (laughs) 
whose praise is not of men but of God. Hallelujah. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as we live from spirit first reality to receive that cutting away of the things in our life that defile God. That defile the eternality and the life of God. So that what issues forth is pure. Hallelujah. That's the circumcision of the heart. <clears throat> and it's an inward work. Time out our inward man. First Peter 3, 4. But let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible. The hidden man of the heart. Talking about the inward man. The spirit man. Or the spirit can be referred to as the belly. How many of y'all have a belly this morning? <laughs> Some more than others. Now, we're talking about the Spirit. Another word for the Spirit, and we see that in the Word of God. John 7, 37 says, In the last days, hallelujah, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And he says, He that believeth on me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Hallelujah. You know, I, I, I uh, prayed with these two about three weeks ago just to receive this, the, the uh, infilling of the Holy Spirit. And Daniel had already received it. And, uh, but you had not. And so we went on and prayed. Did you all have some river flowing out of yourself? Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. They're saying, yes, you did. They received their, their language and they came out with it. I said, bring it on. And boy, they were just praying and praying. Hallelujah. Have you still been letting the rivers of life out? Yeah. Hallelujah. Praise God. And that's not all the river, that's not all there is to the river, but that's a part of it. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Notice it's rivers. Rivers. Yeah, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Hallelujah. So you need to understand that, that uh, rivers of living water are available to you, but only by the Spirit. It's a spiritual matter. And it's from your belly. And belly represents the core of your being. The core. Right here is the core, man. We've got to cover the core. Okay, so we see the distinction of our being in the afterlife experience. I'm, I'm, man, I'm, this is perfect because I'm almost done. 2 Corinthians 5, 6. Therefore, we are always confident knowing that whilst while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Now, why would he say we are at home in the body? Unless there was some, unless who you really are is something more than your body. Do you see what I'm saying? While we are at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. And then verse 8 says, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body to be present with the Lord. So we see right there a separation. We see that there's something about who we are as a, as a, as a person that is separate from our body experience. We see that when this body dies, we'd go somewhere. Do you see that in that? The logic in that? And for Christians, we go to be with the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. And you know, I, I want to leave one last story with you, one last point. Luke 16, 19 through 31. This is the story of Lazarus and the rich man. And I invite you to go and read it sometime this week. And I want you to see. I want you to see that the rich man, he still, you know, and a lot of people say to yourself, well, what happens, Greg, you know, as far as your innermost being, are you, what is it like to be separate from your body? It's no different. I mean, I've heard that attested by people that have had out-of-body experiences and come back and they say they feel, they smell, they experience, they have emotion, everything out of, you know, their body that they have when they're inside of it. You don't believe me, why don't you read this story right here? Because here Lazarus is who was a beggar. He had sores on his body. He was literally a scab in the ditch. He was a person that culture had cast out. And yet he lived his life with nothing is what the word said. But when he died, he was carried to Abraham's bosom. He was carried to the place uh, uh, with, you know, with the Lord before the Lord had actually uh, died and, and was raised to, uh, from the grave and went to, seated, to be seated, you know, and Offer his blood as a propitiation and so forth. So it's a little bit different picture. But the, picture's, but, the, but the result is still the same. We see that Lazarus went. And, he, and then we also see that the rich man who enjoyed and, and, and fared well 
eating all this delicacy stuff, you know, and living his life at the expense of everyone else. He went to the other side. <laughs> he didn't get to go to Abraham's bosom. He went to, the, to, to, uh, to a hot and burning place, it said. Because, how do we know that? Because he said I, he said he could actually look across the chasm and see Lazarus there in Abraham's bosom. And he said, I pray that you would allow Lazarus to come and touch what? His, the tip of his finger with water to his tongue. I mean, that's what kind of torment he was in. If he was in torment, then I think he's got feelings, don't you? I think he's got emotions, don't you, separate from his body? I'm telling you right now, folks, it's, this is real stuff. This is real stuff. And then what's, what's interesting is he still manifested reasoning and concern even then because guess what? He was begging that someone could go back to earth and tell his family. So that means he still had his reasoning and concern. So his soul was a part of the element too. But it was his spirit and soul together. But he still had the element of his experience in life because here he is talking about his family. I want them to get saved too. Would you send someone at least to tell them about about the reality of this that I didn't believe when I was alive. And I got to tell you right now, folks, there are many in that place right now saying the same thing. That's the sad reality of it. <clears throat> but I tell you what's interesting is it says that realize that the rich man was asked to remember to remember. And so and I don't have the, the verse before me, so I can't go through all the elements of it. I'm, I'm not going to because I'm done. But isn't it interesting that why would, why would Abraham ask him to remember unless memory was something separate from your brain? Boy, I know that will bring some puzzled looks. This morning, I really feel like that you can tell that, that your memory, your ability, yeah, your gray matter has got, has got a home for that, but, but it doesn't go away. When you leave your, your home, when you leave your temporary dwelling, I believe your memory is something that's a part of your structure of spirit and soul that exists even separate from your brain. If not, I mean, if not, then how in the world would he tell him to remember unless it was because guess what? His gray matter was in a grave somewhere. Do you see what I'm saying? So obviously his gray matter was not where the seat of his memory was at. Do you see what I'm saying? It's a spiritual matter. It's something that supersedes the material realm. So I say this morning, you can speak to your memory. You can speak over your life and declare that your memory is not dependent solely upon what happens to your brain. Matter of fact, the word says that the memory of the righteous is blessed. And I speak that over myself constantly. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, that means that when you die, people remember fondly of you. Well, yeah, it could mean that, but I also take it to mean that I want my memory to be blessed. I'm speaking over my mind, declaring my memory is blessed. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ, and it says the memory of the righteous is blessed. I'm declaring my memory blessed. I declare for folks right now, you fight it. You don't allow age to take over what's, you know, you don't allow your spirit, your spiritual experience and your soulish experience to be limited by what your body's telling it to do. Your body can, is under subject to the Spirit, under subject to, to your, your will through the Spirit. Hallelujah. Let's stand this morning. Well, did we learn anything this morning? <laughs> A lot. <laughs> so was I, was I like that proverbial story where, you know, that, the, that there was like only one, one person that showed up to a church service and the preacher decided to go ahead and preach his message. And he asked him how he did. And the guy was a farmer and he said, well, he said, you did real good. He said, but if I only have one cow show up, I don't feed him the whole load. <laughs> I hope I didn't feed you the whole load this morning. <laughs> praise God. Praise God. Let's just lift our hands this morning and worship God. Father, together we just glorify your name. Father, we glorify Jesus.